That's right. We welcome you to this Elnon Family Group meeting and hope you will find in this fellowship the help and friendship we have been privileged to enjoy. We who live or have lived with the problem of alcoholism understand as perhaps few others can. We too were lonely and frustrated, but in Elnon we discovered that no situation is really hopeless and that it is possible for us to find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. We urge you to try our program. It has helped many of us find solutions that lead to serenity. So much depends on our own attitudes, and as we learn to place our problems in its true perspective, we find it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and our lives. The family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas without such spiritual help, but living with an alcoholic is too much for most of us. Our thinking becomes distorted by trying to force solutions, and we become irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. The Al-Anon program is based on the suggested 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which we try little by little, one day at a time, to apply to our lives, along with our slogans and the serenity prayer. The loving interchange of, of help among the members and daily reading of Al-Anon literature thus makes us ready to receive the priceless gift of serenity. Al-Anon is an anonymous fellowship. Everything that is said here in the group meeting and member to member must be held in confidence. Only in this way we can feel free to say what is in our minds and in our hearts, for this is how we help one another in Al-Anon. And with that, can I get a member to please read uh, the 12 steps and the 12 traditions? Back to back, please. I am Deb. Hi, Deb. Uh, 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, make direct, direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. The 12 Traditions. 1. Our common welfare should come first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends on unity. 2. For our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group, group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the relatives of alcoholics when gathered together for mutual aid may call themselves an Al-Anon family group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. The only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or a friend. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or Al-Anon as, uh, as a whole. Five. Each Elanon family group has but one purpose to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to 
families of alcoholics. Six, our family group, groups uh, never endorse, finance, or lend our name to, in, to any outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary spiritual aim. Although a separate entity, we should always uh, cooperate with Alcoholics Anonymous. Seven, each group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Al-Anon 12-step work should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, our groups as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, the Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on uh, attraction rather than promotion. We need always to maintain personal anonymity at the level of radio, oops, press, radio, TV, and films. We need guard with special care the anonymity of all AA members. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personality. Yeah, thank yes. you very much. And pick one for me. I'll read it. Do's and don'ts. Understanding ourselves. Open letter from an alcoholic. Understanding alcoholism. Which one would you understanding like? Understanding ourselves. Alrighty, let me go. Ahead. Understanding ourselves. Alcoholism is a family disease. Compulsive drinking affects the drinker, and it affects the drinker's relationship, friendship, employment, childhood, parenthood, love affairs, marriages. All suffer from the effects of alcoholism. Those special relationships in which a person is really close to an alcoholic are affected most. And we who care are the most caught up in the behavior of another person. We react to an alcoholic's behavior. We see that the drinking is out of hand and tr try to control it. We are ashamed of the public scenes, but in private we try to handle it. It isn't long before we feel we are able and we are to blame and take on the hurts, the fears, the guilt of an alcoholic. Even most well-meaning people begin to count the number of drinks another person is having. We pour expensive liquor down the drains, search the house for hidden bottles, listen for the sound of opening cans. All our drinking is directed to what the alcoholic is doing or not doing and how to get him or her to stop drinking. This is our obsession. Watching other human beings slowly kill themselves with alcohol is painful. While the alcoholic doesn't seem to be worried about the, the bills, the job, the children, the condition of his or her health, people around them begin to worry. We make the mistake of covering up. We fix everything. We make excuses. Tell little lies to men damage relationships, and we worry some more. This is our anxiety. Sooner or later, the alcoholic behavior makes those around him or her angry. We realize that the alcoholic is not taking care of responsibilities, is telling lies, using us. We have begun to feel that the alcoholic doesn't love us and we want to strike back, punish, make the alcoholic pay for the hurts and frustrations caused by uncontrolled drinking. This is our anger. <clears throat> those who are close to the alcoholic begin to pretend. We accept promises. We believe, we want to believe the problem has gone away each time there is a sober period. When every good sense tells us there is something wrong with the alcoholic's drinking or thinking, we still hide how we feel or what we know. That is our denial. 
Perhaps the most severe damage to those who have shared some part of life with an alcoholic comes in in the form of the nagging belief that we are somehow at fault. We were not up to it at all, not attracted enough, not clever enough to have solved this problem for the one we love. We think it was something we did or did not do. This, these are our feelings of guilt. Ooh, very good. Oh, ooh, there's those little black mosquitoes around. Oh, oh, very rare. Thank God for the mosquitoes. Yeah. I... Oh no, they could kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. All my words will be over. Right. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Something good about that. Amen. Huh? Yeah, it's just like. Okay. All right. Step three. Oh, wait. What else we got? Reading. Welcome. Are there any newcomers in the first thirty days of the meeting? If there are any newcomers, leaders, we ask. Not to embarrass anyone, but we get to know you better. Okay, there's no newcomers today. Let's go ahead and move on. Uh, I am Fernando. Uh, I'm a grateful Al-Anon member. And we go around the room to oh, identify ourselves. I'm Deb. Deb, welcome. And uh, I'll re uh, the obstacle, three obstacles to success. Would you please read them? Uh, oh. Here. One more reading. We're still not out of the okay. announcements. Where did it go? Oh, it's it's there. Oh. No, it's not there. Oh, there it is. One, discussions of religion. Of religion. Elanon is not affiliated with any outside and with any sect or denomination. It is a spiritual program based on no particular form of religion. Everyone is welcome, no matter what affiliation or, or none. Let us not defeat our purpose by entering into discussions concerning specific religious beliefs. Two, gossip. We need to help ourselves and others learn and use the Al-Anon philosophy. In such groups, gossip could have no part. We do not discuss members or others, and particularly not the alcoholic. Our dedication to anonymity gives people confidence in Al-Anon. Careless repeating of matters heard at at, wait, careless repeating of matters heard at meetings can defeat the very purpose for which we are joined together. Three, do dominance. Our leaders are trusted servants. They do not govern. No, ma no member of Al-Anon should direct, assume authority, or give advice. Our program is based on suggestion, interchange of, of experience, and rotation of leadership. We progress in our own way and pace. Any attempt to manage or direct is likely to have disastrous consequences for harmony. Thank you very much. And with that, we don't have any secretary um, oh. announcements. We're good to go. And literature report, I have plenty of literature available. Treasure report, we're on, on the money. Everything is good, we're on the green. We got plenty of resources available to us. Uh, we don't have a GR report or an IR report. We do not. We do. We have no dues or fees, but we do pass the basket to cover group expenses, including rent, purchase of literature, support of our trusted servants, and Al-Anon service arms. Our seventh tradition says that we are self-supporting through our own voluntary contributions. Through a group, uh, through a group conscience, there will be no crosstalk. Crosstalking is defining as commenting on on one another's person's share or a side conversation with your neighbor. This is a continued 12-step meeting. We will continue where we left off after the, each meeting using the Path to Recovery Workbook. We will read through the questions and write for 20 minutes about how they pertain to our own situation. 
I will share in a couple of answers and ask those who wish to share the same. We left off on step three about six, seven weeks ago. <laughs> Maybe not that long ago. Uh, and we're, we're on questions seven, eight, seven, eight, and nine, if it's easy. Okay. Or just seven and eight. Um, and we will read a little bit of these stories on it. We're going to take tackle the story on page 34, Deb. I'll read a paragraph and you read a paragraph. It's a short story. 34? So, yeah. That it says, once I understood him, the decision was easy. Okay, uh, 34, just for me to make sure. And uh, you're saying 7, 8, and se uh, 7 is, do I trust my higher power to care for me? Yes, please okay. read them out loud. I forgot to. Okay, that's good. Um, uh, 7, do I trust my higher power to care for me? Um, 8, how many... How might step three help me keep my hands off situations created by others? Ooh, both good ones. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, yeah, what does the other one say? The, the eighth, the huh. next one? Uh-huh. Uh, what consequences have I had by obsessing on problems in other people? Wow. Follows right in I'm going to have to move in a second yeah what the uh, it's going to it's coming out you can come to this side yeah we'll just we're going to move in the shape come on right here for, for right now mm -hmm. amen so step three the little bit of reading is once I understood him, the decision was easy. I'm reading from Path to Recovery, page 34. When I worked step two, I came to believe there's a power greater than I am. Step three asked me to make a decision. It was up to me to decide whether to turn my will and my life over to this higher power as I understood him. Although I believe in a higher power, I felt scared and inadequately prepared to make my decision. I realized I did not have a good understanding of him, which I needed to have in order to turn my life over to him. Um, somewhere along life's path, I bought a bill of goods that God was punishing, rejecting, and judgmental. I truly believed that God wanted me to suffer and be, and to be miserable in order to pay for my mistakes. I thought God did not have time for me. I thought I was just supposed to survive and exist. That was what I believed. In Elanon, I learned I could have any concept of a higher power I wanted. I decided to throw out my past concept of God so I could start over with a clean slate. Cautiously, I began to talk to him. I experimented with prayers and meditation. I spent months getting comfortable with this new relationship. My sponsor let me take my time while she gave me encouragement and suggestions. Oh. When I felt comfortable and safe in this new and special relationship, I began to redefine my concept of my higher power. I came to a beautifully simple conclusion. God is my best friend. Oh, that's good. We, we talk, we laugh, and we cry together. I can say anything to God. He knows. Is somebody coming? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Hi. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Okay. See ya. Um, I gotta, you gotta hear this one, so I'm gonna say it. This is over. When I felt comfortable and and stay in this new and special relationship, I began, I began to redefine my concept of my higher power. I came to a beautifully simple conclusion. God is my best friend. We talk, laugh, and cry together. I can say anything to God. He knows my fears, defeats, and mistakes. He also knows my dreams, assets, and successes. He knows what I need, and he proves for, provides for me. God, gently, with a great sense of humor, points me in the direction of his will for me. When I have questions, I know it is okay to ask God never uh, uh, to ask God never makes me feel stupid or wrong, or wrong God gives me choices when I make a mistake it's okay we only uh, get closer my God always has time for me and he makes me feel special very good now would you please read that last paragraph there Matt yeah. uh, working step three not only changed my concept of God it changed my life I found a friend who will always be there for me on the God of my understanding. Once I understood him, the decision to turn my will and my life over to him was easy. Amen. We, we just read this little part right here to get us started. And we're going to be doing, welcome by the way, Matt. Thank you. We're going to be doing steps seven and eight, I mean questions, seven and eight okay. on page 36. Okay. okay. And uh, we'll do, uh, what, we'll 15 minutes do? What do you think? Yeah, 15 minutes. Greetings, family. We have a reprint with permission of the forum, Al-Anon Family Groups Headquarters, Virginia Beach, Virginia. An article, A Mother Struggles with Her Daughter's Alcoholism by Anonymous. Let's go ahead and open this Elanon meeting with a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. A mother's struggle with her daughter's alcoholism. Mommy, I am sick. I can recall hearing my 18-year-old daughter's voice reaching out to me as she used to do when she was a little girl. Untouched by the disease of alcoholism, I can glimpse a time gone by. It is a bright, sunny day, and I am running behind her as she darts off towards a playground slide. I can see, still clearly see her blonde curls cascading down her back into rows of ringlets. As she swings her head back and towards me and smiles, a genuine smile, full of love, sanity, and security. Those smiles disappeared when she turned 15. At 15, she took her first drink, and she has never been the same. We have never been the same. I came to learn in Elanon that her illness is our family disease. Before I walked through the doors of my first Elanon meeting, I was totally blind to her disease, despite my knowledge that alcoholism was the powerful thread that wove together the many different pieces of fabric that are in my family and my life. In that blindness, we both suffered. 
I recall the events of the day that brought me to Elanon. On that day, as she called out to me in her sickness and suffering, I remember turning toward her shaky voice. My brilliant and beautiful child appeared in the kitchen doorway, looking like she had not bathed in days. Bathed. She had slipped into our home again late that night before and retreated to her room. I knew not <clears throat> to disturb her. She had battled more times than I had cared to remember during her rapid and uncomfortable descent into alcohol and drug abuse. The slide was insidious and stealthy. As I learned later how the alcohol led to marijuana, which led to Xanax, which led to Adderall, which led to cocaine, which led to opiates, and so on. By the time she turned 18, she was a daily drinker and an IV drug user. Every well-intentioned step I took toward her in an effort to stop the madness, she took an angry and hostile step toward further and further away. <clears throat> I was angry, bitter, and full of grief. I was angry with her for not stopping the drinking and drugs. I was bitter that this insanity was happening to my child and not someone else's child. And ultimately, I grieved for all that I knew she had lost and would continue to lose. This was my National Honor Society child, who was an all-state athlete at 15. By 18, she barely graduated from high school. After nearly three years of war, the disease of alcoholism and addiction was clearly the victor. Yet, at that time, almost exactly one year ago, I did not even know what was wrong or how I had been a part of this disease. I was in the dark, and so was she. In the darkness, and despite my complete defeat, I remained convinced that I could save her and that I could somehow perform an exorcism to rid her of the disease. I, removed, I moved toward her that day when she called out, saying, Mommy, I am sick, <clears throat> and I hugged her tightly, saying, Again, those same words and promises had done so little for both of us in the past. We will get through this. We will figure this all out, and we will overcome. The scene was all too familiar to us both. There was a brief, quiet calm that we knew both by then would not last. <clears throat> Once she felt slightly better, I could count on, on hearing the front door slam and knowing that she was once again out the door and in the bottle or the needle. The day came, the day I came into Elanon, I had barred out our front door. I had stood one last time between her and what was the other side of the door. She demanded that I move out of her way. I stood firm. I begged her to stay and work with me to get help for her alcoholism and drug abuse. She moved quickly toward the door. I grabbed her purse and pulled her hard to stop her. She both, We both fell to the ground. I'm not sure, but I feel like I actually pushed her down with anger in my heart. At that time, I was unable to separate the disease from the child. I had never hit her in anger. I was shattered. I knew I had crossed a line and I was in trouble. I needed help. I had always just focused on her needing help. I never saw how insane my own life and my own actions had become. So this was the sorrowful scene in our front hallway. 
She got up. I stayed on the floor. She never looked back. I had to let her go. At that moment, I was literally at my lowest point, on the ground begging her to stop and crying for all that we lost. How would I or how could I ever hope in peace again? In a flash of clarity, I heard her most recent counselor saying to me, Mom, you have been in this battlefield of alcoholism and drug addiction with long with her long enough. You have blocked every painful and hurtful experience from her, and you've taken those assaults on yourself. You did this out of love with a good heart, as a mother instinct acts to protect her child. But now you have to get off the field if your daughter ever has a chance of learning to block the assaults of the disease on her own. Feel the pain and suffer the consequences in all of her actions. Mom, get off the field and get into an Al-Anon. As I sat on the floor weeping and exhausted with those words ringing in my ear, I knew that I could no, not lock her up. I wanted to lock her up. I wanted to desperately to keep her from the drink and from the drug. I had to accept that I could not. I had to accept that she was gone and that the only hope I ever had of seeing her again was to let her go. I went to my first meeting that night. I wish I could say that my daughter is in recovery. She is not, but I am. I am healing from the effects of this disease. As my one-year birthday in on approaches, I am reflecting on this part of the year. I know that I have learned to laugh again to pray again, and to live again. And most importantly, I have learned to love my daughter again with acceptance, encouragement, and encouragement. I am so grateful for the moment that we spent together. Now I can truly be at peace and enjoy just having her near me without feeling so angry and resentful. I have always loved her. I just had to learn how to love her as she is now a weak and hurting child of God who suffers from a frightening and debilitating disease. I had no expectations. I tried to set healthy boundaries with her. I have recited the serenity prayer and try to live each day, one day at a time. In the process, I have learned to love myself enough to take care of myself by continuing to attend my Elon meetings, getting a sponsor, working the steps, reading my conference-approved literature, and beginning to give back through service to my home group. This is the life I was meant to live, and I am grateful to live it each and every day. Beautiful, beautiful story. Anonymous. Reprint with permission of the Forum Elanon Family Groups, Headquarters, Inc., Virginia Beach, Virginia. Taken from the Forum. Very good story. And with that, let's go ahead and maybe read another little story. A Lifeline Between Meetings by Tricia T. Virginia. How Elena Works for Families, Friends of Alcoholics. B32 was one of the first books I bought after I started coming to Al-Anon meetings. The book was like a lifeline between meeting for me. It helped me to realize that I was dealing with a disease and the alcoholic in my life didn't have any more control over it than I did. This is where I first learned that I didn't cause it. 
I can't control it and I can't cure it. Through meetings, listening to other members and reading, I learn how I played a part in the disease. My favorite chapter is communication. I still refer to this chapter often to remind myself to slow down and think before I react what someone says to me. I have to remind myself to use tact as opposed to being brutally honest with whomever I am speaking. If I expect to be treated with respect, I must also give it. One of the books that we have is How Elena Works was prized so that groups and members can have an affordable way to pay their gratitude forward by giving the book to newcomers. So that was How Elena Works, that book. Helping the newcomer get started. Another article from Illinois. I want to share how having the soft cover edition of How Elena Works available for newcomers has worked for our group. It's fantastic. What a wonderful way to help the newcomer get started at a time when things are probably out of control in their lives. The response from newcomers is at our group has been overwhelming. Positive. They're, they're so grateful to receive it. At the end of the meeting, when they're asked to keep coming back, now we can offer them something concrete to hold on to and learn about the Alan program and alcoholism. Isn't it interesting? I have a few of those books here, and I never thought about giving them to the uh, or offering them to the newcomers. And I just ordered uh, Path to Recovery, two used books, and two new books from other states. They seem to be all, not, they don't have them at our, our site. They don't have them at home base. This next article is a tool for encouraging newcomers. How Elanon works for families and friends of alcoholics. I can hardly express my joy and excitement over the soft cover edition of How Elanon works for families and friends of alcoholics. This piece of literature is so poignant for the person who walks through the doors of Elanon for the very first time because this book is so affordable. Members of our group often buy it to give it to newcomers as encouragement to use our program in their lives. I also know of another larger Elanon group that has taken a group conscious and make it a practice to provide this book to every newcomer. This tool was not yet in existence when I first walked through the doors of Elanon. I see that the value and the beginning of healing that this book can bring to individuals. I have purchased it for my own personal journey and will continue to purchase additional copies to give the newcomers in order to help them on their journey of recovery. Yeah, I didn't know that this book was, uh, I have some right here. I have about three or four of them hanging around. Ha! Climbing My Own Ladder, our next story, is uh, one of my favorite sections of how Elena works in the story about the two ladders on pages 374. I read this when I am having an Elanon slip, getting involved with someone else's business and losing focus on my own. I have fallen off other ladders many times in my life when I have tried to help push them out of what I consider a miserable situation. It never worked. I always ended up with resentment. 
this reading always allows me to chuckle at myself and get back on my own ladder again. Let's go ahead and read that story. It's on page 374 or 358 if I have old books. 374. I got two soft covers and one hard cover of Ellen How It Works, and then I have another book called The Faces of Elnon. I guess these are all stories from the grapevine. But let's go ahead and read this story. I, I'm not familiar with it. 374. I pray that uh, if you're familiar with these books, God bless you. My world is moving so fast that the only way I can slow it down is to get up at 2.30 in the morning and start doing all my exercise, reading, and everything, and then eat a quick breakfast and go to a meeting and come back and take a nap. Then I got two days in one day. (laughs) We hope it works. I guess it's full of stories, but I don't see that. No, I don't see that story about the ladder. It's not on 374. Let me go ahead and go to the index. Hang in there, please. Uh, Stay on your own ladder. Is that what it was? Wow, quite a bit of stories here. All right, well, it's not here. Let's go ahead and uh, learning to live in the present, 385. Learning to live in the present. 385. It should not surprise anyone to hear that I was born into a dysfunctional family. I once read that over 80% of families are dysfunctional in one way or another. Neither of my parents drank, at least not alcoholically, but most, if not all, of my uncles and great-uncles drank excessively. When I was growing up, these uncles were some of the nicest people I knew. They were always merry and always reaching for the stars, though they never quite touched them. They also were extremely generous. I was assured of coming away with a quarter or two just walking up and talking to them. That was something you could get your hands around and relate to. So I was confused to discover my parents' attitudes towards all these fun-loving alcoholics in our lives. No one in our grim family ever talked about alcoholism or any other such problems. Their attitudes seemed to be, don't hate them, just stay angry. Note that I did not say, just stay angry with them. My parents' anger seemed 
constant, although the drunken relatives were only around occasionally. I don't understand this anger because I could not see what my uncles were doing wrong. I do recall one holiday when the family met next door at my grandparents' house. After the meal, word got around that someone had gone into our house. They never locked the doors back then and had broken into our piggy banks. No one said so directly, but today I suspect that one of my uncles took the pounds of pennies the piggy bank contained. I was too young to even imagine that my sweet old uncle might be a thief, but I knew that something was wrong and that nobody wanted to talk about it. Much later in my life, I remember walking down Main Street in my hometown with my wife-to-be. My uncle was walking towards us from the opposite direction, but he did not appear to see us. And he got close. I raised my hand, waved, and said, Hi, Uncle Carl. He did not even pause as he staggered past, totally unaware of our presence. I felt a tidal wave of shame rise up inside me because I recognized that once again Uncle Carl had been drinking, but I had learned well from my parents. I did not talk about it. These and other such moments from my past left me feeling very ashamed, inadequate, and unlovable. I felt I had to win the approval of anyone from whom I wanted to love. After all, the drunks in the family consumed everyone's attention while I felt abandoned and neglected. I was also very angry and confused. The mixed messages from my youth were at the heart of my confusion. The anger was deeply ingrained. Both of my parents had been affected by other people's drinking and really could have benefited from Al-Anon had it been readily available to them. Unfortunately, it wasn't and they didn't. So my role model taught me to survival tactics for dealing with drunks. They warned me about what drinkers would do to our lives, and their actions spoke louder than words. Nonetheless, I developed the idea that I probably could find my own solution to whatever drinking problem I might encounter in others who were in my life. Diligence was the key. I must be diligent. I don't blame my parents for the attitudes I developed. They were doing the best they could. Alcoholism aside, diligence was a part of how I approached life. When I began thinking about getting married someday, I made an unconscious commitment to myself that whoever I married would become my partner for life. I had no intentions of ever considering divorce as a possibility. I did not find out until my first marriage was nearly at its end that the girl I had chosen did not share my convictions. She was 14 when we first met, and I was 18. She loved to party with no limits on drinking and drug use, and to me... Drinking seemed to be a way to have fun. I did not label this girl an alcoholic, even after all my parents' warnings. At that time, I couldn't have done so without pointing the finger back at my own drinking habits. I had very little esteem. I believed that the only way I could keep a wife was to do something that would make her eternally behold to me. The magical event turned out to be rescuing her from her father. Frequently, in a drunken rage, he would chase her around the house with a butcher knife, threatening to kill her. Thus, my savior pattern was born. We married. When I was 20 and she had just turned 17, the effects of someone else's drinking were already taking a toll on me. Whenever I was not with her, I worried about what she was doing and who she was with. But I had made a commitment to our marriage, and no matter how miserable I was, I was in it till death to us part. After 
Even after catching my wife committing adultery with my best friend two years later, I did not want our marriage to end. That was that was when I began to learn how unhappy she had been right from the start. In a marriage counseling session, she told me that she had entered the marriage believing that if things did not work out, she could simply divorce. This devastated me. Eventually, we did end in the marriage. My second marriage got off on a much better start. I met this woman at a Bible study at a new church. She had used alcohol and drugs in her past, but the church did not allow the use of any such substance, so I was unconcerned. One more time, I had no awareness that alcohol had anything to do with the problem she and I were having. On our first years together were difficult, but based on my previous experience, I believe that was to be expected in the first year of marriage. I spent a lot of time pointing out my wife's many faults. I would ridicule her and tell her how surprised I was at her lack of willingness to work on her flaws. What I was unwilling and unable to see was that the adverse effect the disease of alcoholism was having on me. After about five years of this marital bliss, her drinking began again. At first, I did not notice because my education and my career preoccupied me. Once I became aware that she was having a problem with alcohol, I was very angry and demanded that she stop and resume her more responsible role as wife and mother. When I discovered that I could not intimidate her with my anger, I tried reasoning with her. When the taxes failed, I quickly turned to pleading and giving in to her every demand. I developed a severe case of tunnel vision, focusing almost exclusively on what she was doing and not doing. All I could see was that she was ruining my life. What I could not see was how, by my actions, I was voluntarily turning control of my life over to her. Boy, this is a long story. I got my money's worth. Monitoring became my favorite pastime. I marked her bottles and searched the house for hiding spots. I was so sick that I marked the bottles in pencil, then wondered if she had moved the marks. Convinced that drinking was not her only problem, I jealously monitored her phone conversation with a small device I picked up at a local electronics store. I also monitored her auto mileage. The only thing I did monitoring this was destroy my emotional and physical health. The anxiety and panic attacks were continual. I often felt I was being consumed from the inside. Our children were also being affected by the disease. We were told that our seven-year-old son was suicidal. Today, I realized that my actions towards my wife and my inactions towards my son had just as much to do with his mental and emotional state as my wife's drinking. Alcoholism is definitely a family disease. I came to Allen. I don't even remember who had suggested it or how or when I got here. The room was full of women, and I wondered if I was in the right place. I do recall the love I felt in the room. Here were people who seemed to genuinely care about who I was and what I was going through. I didn't understand this because I was sure none of them had any idea what was going on in my life. But there was something indescribably at the meetings that kept me coming back. At first, I only went to meetings when things were bad. I still believed that I was self-sufficient. At that same time, I was sure that I was sicker than anyone and dubious that my any program could help me. 
but I was beginning to identify with what was wrong with my life. First, unmanageability. I didn't understand how I was powerless over alcohol, but there was no doubt that my life was unmanageable. It was not until I heard that I didn't cause alcoholism, I can't control it and I can't cure it, week after week, that the concept of powerlessness sank in. Slowly, my illusion of self-sufficiency melted away. Later, I found the courage to rely upon my group for strength and support. At the end of my first year, I began to rely upon a power greater than myself. And today, I depend upon God as I understand Him. Step one taught me that I had to admit that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was unmanageable. The serenity prayer helped me to accept this powerlessness. But this meant giving up my control. To me, giving up control meant I was inadequate and too stupid to solve the problem myself. I had learned from my parents that I should be able to control alcoholism. And I I had great difficulty believing that they were wrong. This kind of thinking kept me sick for a very long time. Alcoholism is not only a drinking disease, it is also a thinking disease. And my thinking was wrong. When I finally admitted and expected my powerlessness over alcohol, I got my first real glimpse of serenity. The detachment flyer became my favorite piece of literature. My two favorite lines were the crisis lines. In Al-Anon, we learn not to create a crisis and not to prevent a crisis. It is in the natural courses of events. Until then, I would smooth over potential crisis responding to the occasion, accusations of others. She's not that bad. Although I knew deep in my heart she was even worse than they were suggestion. On the other side of the crisis coin, I would create crisis after crisis with her. One favorite treat of mine was taking the children and leaving if you don't do something about your problem. At last, when I said this, I got a reaction. Of course, I never f- left. My empty threats merely demonstrated that I had become insane. That brought me to step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. When I first read this step, I remember saying to myself, I already have a relationship with God, so I can skip right over this. What I had not yet learned was that I believe in God, but acted like I didn't. I believed in God, but I acted like I didn't. It took a long time to believe in a power greater than myself. Even after that, he had begun to restore me to sanity, but eventually I did come to believe. Working these and the subsequent steps would have been impossible for me without the guidance I received from my sponsors. They quickly helped me to see when and where I was getting off track. They seldom gave me advice, but frequently offered suggestions. It was up to me to decide which of the suggestions I was willing to try. And verily, the more I followed their suggestions instead of relying upon my own devices, the better my life became. In time, my life found her way into AA. In time, my wife found her way into AA recovery. One mistake I made early in her recovery was to act as if I were her sponsor. Sometimes this was my idea. Other times it was hers. 
Either way, it was not healthy for either of us. I had to turn her over to a higher power for the sake of her own sanity as well as my own sanity as well as mine, hers. One way I was able to do this was by getting involved in service work. Service work got me to lots of meetings that I would not have otherwise attended. I didn't know it at the time, but service proved to be an essential part of the process of rebuilding my sense of self-worth. There were many things I did not want to hear when my first, when my wife first got sober. The worst was no guarantees. Although we were both involved with recovery, there was no guarantee that our marriage would survive. It was a risky at best, and the odds were against us. Today, more than five years later, we are still together. But there are still no guarantees that we will be together for the rest of our lives. All we have is now. So I try to live one day at a time and make the most of the time we have together. I believe that recovery is a process, not an event. The further I go into recovery, the less I know. To me, this is a positive sign. I have come to believe that healthy people continue to grow throughout their lives. Thus, I no longer have to pretend to be Mr. Know-it-all. I can openly admit that I don't have all the answers. I want to remain teachable for the rest of my life, daily applying new ideas and letting life be a real adventure. Wow. That was Learning to Live in the Present, page 42. What an intelligent writer. What an intelligent format. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for coming today. Let's go ahead and pray out with the uh, Lord's Prayer, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back, family. It's working.